All right, well, welcome. Glad you guys are here. Some of you get tables. All right, nice job. You can, you can eat and do what you want. Uh, yeah, with this, the COVID, you know, some, a lot of you ask about school and how all that works all the time, and we're still meeting. We still, we still meet, uh, you, know, with, you know, masks and precautions and those things. But the first thing I do every day is to have to uh, send out a who, who is on the remote list because it changes so because sometimes there'll be contact tracings over the weekend and those kinds of things for people who are together. So I have a list that I have to send out every morning to the teachers. Uh, like these people are authorized to zoom into your classrooms. Uh, and it just, it's just a fluctuation all the time, usually anywhere from 10 to 15 students out at any given time. But uh, it's okay. And then they come back and then we keep going. So. Uh, you can, you can still do school. Kids are still learning, we're playing sports and all those things, so. 10 or 15 out of how many? Uh, 225. Continue with the life of Jesus. And if you recall, last week we left off with uh, Peter's you know, grand confession and, and then his, the rebuke uh, that, that now they recognize through Peter's, the mouthpiece, that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. But then he, then he told them though, this is, it's not like what you think. And remember, he, he talked about how he's going to have to, he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be, he's going to be killed. He's going to rise again. And, and they're still trying to wrap their brains around that. And Peter, to the point where he says, no, 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 that's never going to happen. And Jesus had to rebuke him. Then Jesus goes on to say, to say what this following him means. They're going to follow him in all of this as well. Well, right after that, Having probably still reeling from all of this, uh, we now come to what we call the transfiguration, the episode of the transfiguration or the transformation. Um, it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to look at Matthew's account. I'll probably bring up a few things from Luke and Mark's account, but uh, we're going to look at it from Matthew's account. But before we do, I want us to turn to Second uh, Peter. Instead of Matthew, we're going to go to Second Peter. The end of your New Testament. Because we'll come back to Matthew, but we're going to, by way of introduction, in the second letter of Peter in chapter 1, beginning at verse 16, <clears throat> Peter says, We didn't follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven. And we were with him on the holy mountain. So here's Peter, years later, telling his audience about this episode. And what's intriguing about that, and plus we'll allow that to interpret what's going on, Peter was there seeing Jesus in sort of a, a, a he's privileged to see this, you know, glimpse of glory yet to come after the resurrection. But what's fun about this is that at the end of what we're going to read today, Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, I don't want you to tell anybody, not even the rest of the disciples, I don't want you to tell anybody about this until after God has raised me. After I've been raised, then 
And then the full orbed understanding of what's happening with the, trans with the transfiguration can be understood. But until then, don't tell anyone. So what's fun about that is here we have Peter telling people. He can now tell people. And he, of course, he was able to tell them right away at Pentecost. And, you know, but to, to have heard after the resurrection, then Peter, James, and John saying, oh, yeah, well, guess what we saw? We kind of forget that, that it was only those three, and then later recorded in the Gospels. Can you imagine then the rest of the disciples hearing about this when they were finally allowed to say something about it? Oh, will you remember after Peter made, well, and remember he told us, well, remember we went up to the mountain by ourselves? He only took us three, and then we were kind of cryptic when we came back, and things got busy. Well, here's what happened. That must have been fun. And of course, the other disciples were probably, <laughs> he told us not to, okay? But now you get the full, the full story. Well, we're getting the full story because Jesus has been raised, and we can now look at this episode. Um, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, liberal Bible, Bible scholars and scoffers, skeptics, who would look at this episode as being well, this alone is enough to say that Jesus is not a historical person. This is just, this is just sort of, you know, like Greek mythology. You know, suddenly he's glowing and those kinds of things. Um, so it is, it is a passage that has often been pointed to as, as showing, well, this is all just kind of made up. Others would say, well, this is a, a post-resurrection appearance that sort of got stuck in the wrong place to justify some other things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke want to talk about. I'm okay. If we're going to believe in the resurrection, I'm okay with this. Okay, does that make sense? It, it's, and there's so much more going on here uh, besides Jesus radiating, being transformed or transfigured. There's a lot of hints about a lot of other things. And we're not going to be able to cover all of them. There's a lot of stuff going on here. But it's on the very heels of him having said, you know, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'll be raised, and they're still, still trying to figure all that out. And saying as well that, you know, it's, it's, it's to come for you too. Following me means you taking up a cross. But then he says, and there's some of you though, right here, right now, who won't, before you die, you're going to see this glory. You're going to see the Son of Man in glory. And boom, here we go. These three are going to see this. So with that being said, you notice the outline now from Matthew chapter 17. We're still in Matthew. Um, we have two points. First, we're going to see that these three were privileged to see this thing, this transfiguration, to see Jesus um, in, sort of a, in sort of a precursor of that glory and probably... Uh, seeing, you know, part of the pre-incarnate Jesus, that glory. Just to, to see that, to witness that. They're privileged to see it. But, in verses 9 through 13, you'll also see, after that, they're prohibited, though, to say anything about it. So they're privileged to see it, prohibited to say anything about it. And in the midst of that, there's a little, a little explanation about John the Baptist going on. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Transfiguration under those two outline points. So the first point is privileged to see it, verses 1 through 8 of chapter 17. Uh-oh. 
after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them to a high mountain by themselves. There he, he transformed. There he was transformed before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as a light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, this is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Is it? Huh? Is that it? Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. Got it. That's it. You did a great job. All right. Um, Again, probably familiar to most of us, but you know, it's just a, a, a strange thing until we understand, understand the context. Now, we're told that he takes these three. Uh, he's done this before, right? Remember with the, uh, the raising of Jairus' daughter, uh, and he'll do it again. Uh, these, this sort of inner core, this inner circle. Uh, he takes these three, and we're told, up on a high mountain by themselves. Now we're not told the mountain and you can read a lot of stuff about people trying to decide which mountain. Uh, you go there today you're going to be taken to Mount Tabor. Uh, it's a traditional site where there's been churches built but unfortunately at the time this happened there was a fortress on the top of that mountain. I mean there was a fortress already there it doesn't seem like that would have been it so there's speculation as to which of the other mountains in between Caesarea Philippi, where they were, and Capernaum, where they're going, it could be. Um, I'll let you read about those things later at your leisure. But either way, they're by themselves. Luke adds that uh, he went to pray. Jesus went to pray and brought those three with him. And it's while there, and Luke also adds that the disciples went to sleep. Those three, <laughs> they were sort of tired and went to sleep. So probably night, nighttime, evening, nighttime. Uh, and it's while they are there that this event happens. And we're told that he was transfigured before them, transformed before them. The Greek verb is metamorpho. Hear our word metamorphosis, to metamorph, to change. There's, been a, there's something changed about him. Now this change isn't permanent. It's not like the other disciples see it later. It's, but it, for this moment... They are privileged now to see Jesus basically in his glory. This, and, 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 and right away it probably harkens to other stories that you're probably familiar with, and, and certainly Matthew's audience would be familiar with, of Moses going up on a mountain. And Moses being in God's presence, and Moses reflecting the glory of God, reflecting that he, his face shown. But in this case, we're told that Jesus is like the sun. He's not a reflected light. He's, it's his own glory. 
at this point that is shining forth. Even it affects his clothing. Um, so there's, there's this, uh, for, for the disciples, these three, they're able now to see confirmed right before their eyes their confession that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't understand it all yet. In fact, they're reeling from the, the notion that he's going to die. They still haven't wrapped their minds around that. But here you have this visual confirmation that he is indeed who he claims and who they claim. This is something that's going to allow Peter, James, and John to also have a little extra impetus of realizing their confession being dead on. I mean, does that make sense? It also, however, is a time when Jesus himself, knowing that he is now set for the cross and Jerusalem, to also receive both encouragement and to bask in the love of his Father and to receive instruction through these two, these two that show up. Now, these, we're told that these two are Moses and Elijah. Now, the question comes, how did they know? Were they wearing team jerseys? <laughs> Moses. Well, I mean, how, how did they know uh, that that's who it was? Um, and, of course, we're not told how they know. But, of course, we can, we can ask. We could probably all come up with different answers as to, as to how they knew. Maybe they introduced themselves. Maybe Jesus introduced them. Maybe they overheard Jesus and them talking, and then they figured out that's who this is. Maybe there was enough sort of, you know, sort of reputation about if you see two people, you know, coming, and there were speculation and their understanding that Moses and Elijah both would show up before the Messiah. Well, that's, they, so they assume, well, that's, that's who it is. Um, we're just not told. But there's no doubt that's who it is. All three accounts say that's who it was. But of course, beyond just knowing how did they know, it's why them? Why those two? Why are they there with Jesus? Jesus himself is, is, is shining. He's transfigured. We're told as well the others also are reflecting the glory of God. In, in other accounts, they too are like that. Um, so why them? Well, first of all, we, Moses is the lawgiver. He is, he is the great hero. And Elijah is sort of the, the prime or pinnacle of the prophets. So what you have here is living representatives of the law and the prophets. And Jesus said he came not to do away with, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. So you have those two visually representing, not just representing, but being there as the law and the prophets in Moses and Elijah. Uh, also, like I, I hinted at a, a minute ago, the, there was an understanding that there would be another prophet like Moses to come. And M Matthew's been doing quite a bit, too, to show that Jesus is you know, recapitulating a lot of the, what Moses did, but much higher. He is a higher Moses. And Moses, you know, is, is one of those figures that many speculated would return. And for sure, Elijah, 
they're waiting on, you know, Elijah having associations with the coming of the Messiah, which we're going to get to a little bit more because they're going to ask some questions about that. So you have that. You also have, of course, that Elijah was, uh, did not die, right? He was taken bodily into God's presence, and there was, there was intertestamental writings about Moses, too, because his grave was never found in the book, The Assumption of Moses, that Moses, as well, was taken into God's presence. That's more speculative, but you have those things as well coming together in, in the presence of Moses and Elijah. So, you have, like Moses, going up to the mountain, encountering God. We're told that Moses, too, at one point, took three with him. He took Aaron, uh, Nadab, and Abihu with him. So you have some parallels here, right? And then, like Moses suddenly reflecting God's glory from being in God's presence, now you have Jesus not reflecting that glory, but projecting that glory. And Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, in Luke's account, we're told that they were talking to him about his coming exodus, his departure in Jerusalem, meaning his death, burial, resurrection, leading the people through that action, the exodus, the new exodus. So Luke adds that they were actually talking to him about that. And that would be, obviously, encouraging to Jesus as well, to know he's on the right path, that this is what God intended. And then Peter, love Peter. You've got to love Peter, right? Um, we're told, Luke says, you know, he's like, they're, oh, they're waking up. It's like, oh! And, and, and even, they even add things like, and not knowing what he was saying, <laughs> those kinds of things. Uh, so Peter just, like, blurts out. And notice he's, it's like the, the crown of understatement. Oh, this is good. This is good. And that's really what it says. Yeah, this is good. And it's what's good. Well, that we're here. That, that, that. And then, oh, uh, oh you know, Peter's got to do something. I know, I know. Oh, no. Lord, if, you, if it's with, with your permission, I'll, I'll make three shelters. I'll make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. Oh, this is good. Now, why would he say those things? Bless you. Yeah, the mountain cedar. Is that what's, that's what's going on with me? My head's about to blow up right now, just so you know. So if one eyeball just shoots out, it's from mountain cedar pressure. Um, so why, you know, what's, what's he mean by that? That, you know, oh, 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 oh. Well, there's probably several things that could, could be answered. Again, we're not told that either, are we? So all of this is speculation on our part. But... Um, you know, the, you know the, the whole association of Moses, mountain, tabernacle, that's the word here, tabernacle, tent, okay? That, that, and there was an understanding, too, that with the coming of Moses and Elijah and the Messiah that would have come during the Feast of Tabernacles and all, of, all the world would come to Jerusalem to worship God. And maybe there's some associations with that. He's kind of, it's all coming, this must be it. So I'll build the tabernacles right here. Or it could just be, some translations are more of like, I'll build shrines. I'm just going to, let's memorialize this. I'm going to build some shrines here about for this. The church did later, by the way, uh, on Mount Tabor. So let's, let's memorialize this. It could be that 
I'll build, you know, let's all stay. This is so cool. Let's all stay and I'll build, I'll build shelters for you guys. Don't worry about us, but for you guys, I'll build shelters for you. And it could be any and all or all of that, whatever. But it's Peter wanting to, to do something. So Jesus, well, before, before that happens, I love, I, I, I just, part of me just loves what happens next. So you got Peter, you know, wanting to do these things and let's, let's do this, trying his best to understand the situation and what's going on. But while he was speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And of course, this harkens for us back to uh, the Shekinah, the Shekinah, the glory, the cloud, the presence of God. You know, the pillar, the, the pillar of cloud, and, and then the, the, the cloud of God's presence in the tabernacle, the dedication of the temple. You have this envelopment of God's presence and glory in the cloud. Same with the, the ascension, right? Jesus goes into the cloud. So you have that. And now you have the same thing said that was said at Jesus' baptism with the descent of the dove. The only thing is that you have an addition at the end, listen to him. But otherwise, it's verbatim what God declared about his son at baptism. So while they're there, they're enveloped, and here, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Same thing. Now, we don't know if any of the disciples heard that at baptism, but these three hear that now. And notice, in the midst of Peter wanting to talk and do, and he says, listen to him. You listen to him. Shut up, Peter. Listen to him. Now, it's not just a rebuke, too, but it's, it's now... Now that they've seen Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, and then at the, in a second, they're going to look up and they're gone. And they've just been told, the one who's left? And we're told emphatically, it was just Jesus alone. The one who's left, he is your authority. You listen to him. He is the fulfillment of what you saw in Moses and Elijah don't worry about making tabernacles for them. Listen to him. And notice their reaction is like what we would do, I would, I would assume. The disciples heard this. They fell on their faces. And they were much afraid. Was there some worship going on? Oh, yeah. A lot of worship is induced by fear, the fear that comes from encountering absolute holiness, purity, goodness. That's terrifying. We in our age, because of movies and makeup, we're terrified more about evil because we can make it look gross and horrifying. And we're, we're used to that. Hollywood has a difficult time, however, portraying goodness absolute goodness and the terror that comes with that so driven to their faces 
Because it's not just the voice, it's not just the cloud. It's the presence, the glory of the God of the universe. <laughs> Undone. Um, the closest I think Hollywood has gotten to portraying a good character, they had to make him uh, mentally challenged, though. Otherwise, we wouldn't take him seriously. We don't take goodness seriously. We think of it as sort of, what, 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 what are you in it for? What's, it, what's in it for you? Or we think of them as sort of smarmy, you know, sort of, hmm, they're just goody two-shoes. But real goodness, and that character I'm talking about is Forrest Gump. I mean, he's, he's a good guy. And we, we're okay with it because, well, he's got some issues. So, if it was just a regular guy, we it would be hard for us to take it seriously. And that's not really Hollywood's fault, that's really our fault. Uh, I don't know if you've read Lord of the Rings. Uh, the character of Faramir is a good man. He's not even tempted by the ring. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're not nerdy enough. All right, so. Um, uh, but he's a good guy. He's just a good man. But in the movie, the, the director, knowing that they just wouldn't come, around, come across right, he's changed. He has to go through a struggle of, wanting to be, of being tempted by the ring and all those things, because it just wouldn't have come across right. So, you see what I mean? Goodness, holiness, purity, driven to their faces. And Jesus came to them and said, get up, don't be afraid. And notice he touched them as well. You know, just, <laughs> We're undone. And then to have the Son of God, God in the flesh. Just touch him. It's okay. Don't be afraid. Get up. Wow. Wow. So they did. And when they lifted up their eyes, all they saw was Jesus. What a great little episode here. And of course, Peter, hearkening back to it, what we read at the beginning in 2 Peter, saying, hey, these are our old wives' tales we're talking about here. We saw this. We saw that glory. We heard the majesty speak. And then, here's what's fun, too. Um, Paul also uses this language, right? In 2 Corinthians, he talks about the glory of, you know, that, that is, the, you know, the, the, that abundance of glory, the weight of glory, a famous sermon by C.S. Lewis, that is yet to come to us. Because, and then he uses the, the terms tent, our tabernacles will change. We'll be, and he uses the same word, metamorpho, we will be transformed. We will engage in and be a part of similar transformation at the resurrection. Our tents that we're in will be transformed. Um, so there's, there's so much, there's a lot of valences and things going on here. Um, before we leave it, I want you to think about another mountain where Jesus is flanked by two other people. Yeah, Calvary. And in that case, uh, you have, like on this mountain, we see Jesus uh, revealed in the glory of this transformation here, this, this transfiguration. 
on that mountain, it's the, the glory of the shame of the cross. There, here we see his raiment white. There, his clothes stripped from him. Soldiers gambling over them. Um, there he's, here he's flanked by Moses and Elijah. These two grand heroes, like pinnacles of, 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 of Old Testament Israel. On, the, on Calvary, he's got two brigands on either side. Two who have taken the message of Israel and have tried other things and crime and like to show how far things have gone downhill. Here, here you see him with a bright cloud overshadowing the whole thing. At Calvary, darkness covers the land. Here we see Peter saying, how, this is so good, how wonderful. There, he's not even there because he's denied Christ. And then finally, here we hear God declaring, this is my son. And at the cross, it's a pagan soldier. He says, surely, this is the son of God. So it's an interesting, you see the glory and the shame, but you see the glory leading to the cross, the ultimate goal. But then on the other side of that, we see this, which has been foreshadowed, come to fruition in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, cool stuff. Holy Week is that big coming. The what? Holy Week. That's, that's coming in a few months or a couple, few weeks, yeah. Well, that's happened. You know what you can imagine what they're like? They're just like, oh. Okay, we'll go back down now. <laughs> you know, that's kind of, you know we, we, we forget that these are, you know, what would this do? Uh, but, as well, now they've seen Elijah, and they've been steeped in the Messiah. Before the Messiah comes, Elijah's going to come and restore everything. Meaning, he's going, to make, he's going to make this place fit for the king, for the Messiah. So, but now we've heard he's going to die? All that stuff's still going on in their heads, which leads to our next point, when they're told not to talk about this, and why, and, and what's going to come from this. So let's hear that. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Now, he's already hinted at this, that this is John the Baptist before, right? Even in Matthew's Gospel, we read this a few chapters earlier. So, but it's still hard for them to wrap their minds around this. They don't have a framework for where the Messiah is going to die. 
They don't have a framework for that. And that's why they're still puzzled. Even though where they've just been told, listen to him. Well, they're going to have to listen to him because Jesus still has to help them understand the nature of his Messiahship. There is so much more to learn on the way to the cross, on the way to Jerusalem. And they're still, even when it happens, it's just so anti what they've been raised with. It's still going to take time for them to fully wrap their minds around this. And Jesus has to tell them. That's one reason he says, I don't want you to tell anybody about this yet. What you've just seen, I don't want you to tell anybody until after the Son of Man has been raised. Luke brings up the fact that then they start talking about, what is he talking about raised? What does he mean by this? Even they're thinking, is this figurative? What's going on? But because he's talking about resurrection, they know he's talked about already his death. So they're saying, all right, now, wait a minute. The scribes, we've always been taught that Elijah comes and he restores everything. Why? Why do, given what we've just seen and what you've told us, how is that going to happen? Is Elijah still going to come? How can there be a framework in which you die? Why, what's going on here? So Jesus answers them with the teaching of the scribes. He says, uh, to be sure, or I think your translation had to be sure, but it's, it's Elijah is coming and will restore all things. That's what they taught. That's like a quote. And they took that from Malachi 4, where we're, we're seeing restoration of families and things. Over the, over the course of the centuries, it was taught that Elijah would come in preparation of the Messiah to make everything ready to make this place worthy of the Messiah. He says, all right, you've been taught right. The scribes were right. They just got the timing wrong. They, they, they've missed it. He says, yes, that's happened, but I'm telling you, it's already happened. Elijah has already come. And the preparation was to prepare and, and basically foreshadow what the Messiah would indeed go through. Notice the preparation. He did pre preach repentance. Israel, get ready to be Israel, to be ready for your king. Repent. Be Israel. He did do that. But then he too went through suffering and eventual death at the hands of the people who didn't recognize him. They didn't want to recognize him. That can't be what, that's not Elijah. That can't be. He said he did come. They didn't recognize him. They did to him whatever they wished. So also, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. So yes, the one who prepared the way came, Elijah. And he did prepare the way. He did it through his preaching. He did it through his life. And just as you see, that's a foreshadowing of what's going to happen as well to the Son of Man. Now do you see why they had, he said, don't tell anyone any of this, because look how much they still have to learn. But we're told, Matthew inserts though for us, ah, at least then they realized, ah, he was talking about John the Baptist, got it. That's one, <laughs> okay. But in other words, yes, it, it's, it's, it's a slow, under, slow uh, uncovering of all these things for them as they learn more and more about the true nature of his Messiahship. 
And I just love that they didn't tell anybody until after the resurrection. And then you have, then you have the accounts all very, 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 in all three synoptics, right on the heels of having been declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. And then Peter writing about it, of course, later. I just, I just, I just love that. You, however, are under no prohibition to tell people about this. Okay? But because we're this side of the resurrection, now that the central message of the church is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, people have room in their framework and in their worldview for something like a transfiguration, looking forward to that resurrection. And that transfiguration is not just looking forward to Jesus' exaltation. As Paul lets us know, it's also looking forward to ours. When we too will reflect that glory. Cool stuff. All right. We're almost out of time. Any last questions or comments? Thank you for your presentation. That's wonderful. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your affirmation. All right, well, let's pray together. And then after we pray, don't forget to pull your chairs out uh, so they know what to clean. Are they coming in here today? I guess they are. Yeah, I guess just the chairs that are around the table just kind of make them look like they've been sat in, I guess. All right, let's pray. Thanks, Father, for uh, your word and for the time we get to uh, be together uh, studying it. Um, It's just... Uh, especially this lesson for, for, for me just uh, is so overwhelming. Um, and to think that uh, we'll share in this one day. Uh, forgive us when we kind of forget that. Uh, forgive us when we reduce uh, being followers of Jesus to uh, religion that we practice on Sunday. Our prayer is that, uh, uh, as we've heard before, we kind of uh, leave the mountaintop and go down and get dirty with the people. Because... Uh, We know who you are, and we know uh, what you can do. So as mouthpieces and as ambassadors of your kingdom, uh, we now dedicate ourselves to you in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.